Well, it was a busy week this week, and I didn't have time to prepare. I'm just kidding. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 30. I just wondered what it would be like to say that one time, you know. I just didn't have time to get to it this week. Exodus chapter 30, we're going to be looking at the last uh, four verses of the chapter, last five verses, verses 34 through 38. And the title of this section of scripture is The Sweet Smell of Worship. The Sweet Smell of Worship. Exodus chapter 30, verse 34, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stacta and onica and galbanon, these sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall there be a like weight. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. And thou shalt beat some of it very small, and put it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, you shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that, to smell thereto, shall even be cut off from his people. Let's pray. Dear Lord, once again, it is our privilege, our honor to enter into your presence, to hear your voice through your word, and it is our soul's desire to draw closer to you. Lord, we thank you for the record of the Old Testament that not only documents how you worked through and in your chosen people, Israel, but also laid a precedent and gave us insight into the new covenant of which we are members. Father, I pray that you would help us to see the beauty of this aromatic worship that was offered to you and that we might understand that we too have an aroma in your nostrils that is pleasing. Father, I pray that you will lead and guide me, help me to clearly teach your word, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Moses is still on the mount uh, receiving uh, from God the instructions about the tabernacle. If you remember, uh, they have gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai. God gave them the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, God gives them some other laws. And then he calls Moses up on the mountain to give to him uh, the instructions for the tabernacle and the furniture and the elements that are to be used in it. In this chapter in particular, we have seen that God has instructed Moses on the Ark of Incense. It was not included with the other pieces of furniture in that text, but in this chapter, God gives him the dimensions, the design for it. And then he teaches Moses about the ransom payment for the soul, that there was a price that was to be paid uh, for every soul. And then he gives him the design for the laver, which was used for washing before worshiping. And then the uh, ingredients for the holy anointing oil. And then the chapter concludes with this recipe for the incense that was to be used in the tabernacle. As you think about it, and as you just kind of take a step back and, and look at the shape and the outline of these things, you discover that worship in the tabernacle involved all of the senses. It involved taste. It involved touch. It involved seeing. It involved hearing. And here we see that it also involves smelling. Now, the recipient of worship is God. 
And all of these things, like the incense, the sacrifices, and the bread were offered to him. However, we also discover that the worshipers got to partake in these offerings. They were required to eat the showbread every week. They were not to throw it out. It was to be consumed by the priest. They were to eat portions of the meat offerings every single day. And they got to smell the incense in the tabernacle. Not only did this allow the priest to engage their entire being in worship, but it also allowed them to experience worship with their entire being. And as you think about that, I can't help but think, what a privilege of the priesthood. We're not talking about all of Israel got to experience this. We're not even talking about all of the Levites got to experience this. This was strictly for the priesthood. Those were the ones that did the service of the tabernacle. And they were the ones who got to consume the bread and consume the sacrifice and got to smell the incense and got to be involved in the worship in the tabernacle. And so it was an absolute privilege for them to be priests. And what you and I know about the new covenant is that in Christ, who is our great high priest, every believer is a priest. And so you and I have the privilege of priesthood, that you and I get to engage in worship to God, that you and I get to engage with our entire being in worship to God, and we get to experience worship with our entire being. As I considered this text of Scripture and what God is uh, describing for us here in the incense, I, I thought about the genius of God. You see, it is God who created mankind, and it was God who put the olfactory cortex close to the memory center in the brain. Now, I know I'm stepping off into the deep pool of neurology, which I know very little about, but by some pretty handy charts, I was easily to discern that the smelling center is at the bottom of the frontal lobe of the brain. And so you have the receptors in your nose, and they send the senses up to that olfactory cortex. And not accidentally... That is setting right against the memory center where short-term memories are turned into long-term memories and stored away. And as I thought about that, I thought, what a genius act of God that God created mankind so that he could associate memories with smells. For example, have you ever smelled something that immediately caused you to think back? Maybe to your mother's kitchen or to your dad's truck or your elementary school cafeteria. I mean, it is strong. And neurologists say one of the reasons for that is because those, those memories are, are not accessed as much. And so when they're connected to that sense of smell, it comes back very vivid. And it can literally uh, transport you in your mind back to that place. And so I don't think it's any accident that in God's design for the tabernacle that not only did he have the sacrifices which were a precursor and an and, uh, and, uh, antitype of, uh, of the atonement that Christ would make, 
but that he also included scents and smells that would be associated with it so that this would get embedded into the minds and into the memories of the priests who did the service of the tabernacle. No, God, no doubt God knew this when he made it part of the tabernacle service And beyond that, he was providing a framework for New Testament worship. You say, well, what do you mean? We don't burn incense and these sorts of things. No, no, we don't. But there is here a picture of something that God did that he equipped us with that when we offer it to him is described as a sweet-smelling savor in his nostrils. Because remember, the incense was not primarily for the priest to smell. The incense was primarily for God. And they got to be benefactors or beneficiaries of that. And so with that in mind, I'd like to turn our attention to the text where we will see four elements here. The the parts, the process, the place, and the purpose of this sweet-smelling perfume. And so number one, the parts we find in verse 34. The Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stockta, onica, galbanon, these sweet spices with pure frankincense of each shall there be a like weight. And so it was made up of four separate ingredients, equal in measurement. So when it says like weight, it is saying equal parts of each measured by weight, all classified as sweet spices. What does that mean, sweet spices? Well, it means that they were aromatic and that they were pleasant to the smell. They were not something that were repellents, if you will. Uh, They were something that actually uh, were pleasant for human nostrils to smell. Uh, One part was stockta, one part onica, one part galbanum, one part frankincense. Um, From my study, uh, I was able to find that stockta is a fatty, resinous liquid matter like myrrh that is very odorific. Onica is the aromatic shell of a freshwater mussel. Uh, that gives off a musky odor. Uh, Galbanin is the gummy resin of a flowering plant. And then frankincense is a dry resin with an acidic quality to it. Now, if you're wondering how in the world this could smell good, I would just encourage you to go home and read the back of your perfume or your cologne. And you will see that there is a mixture of ingredients there that taken by themselves may not make a terrific fragrance. But when blended together, they actually make something that is pleasant to smell. You say, really? You, scraping the shell of a mussel is going to create a pleasant smell? Well, I discovered that, uh, that uh, ambergris is one of the most expensive ingredients in high-end perfumes And it comes from the solid, waxy substance found in the intestine of sperm whales. Now, you tell me who thought that they would gob out this waxy substance from the intestine of a whale and decide that that would be a good ingredient in perfume. And yet, it works. 
And so, as we read this list of ingredients, God, the designer, knew exactly what he was doing, and so he gives them the recipe for how to make this. Here's what we can observe. You say, what good does that do me? I mean, that's information, sure, but what what benefit does it give to me? Well, here's just a, a, a few things that we can observe. We can observe that the ingredients were specifically uh, specified by God. God's the one that chose this. And so it wasn't up to man to say, here's what I want to offer to God. Here's what smells good to me. I'm going to give it to God. No, when it comes to worship, God is the one who specifies. And he said, these are the ingredients that you will mix together that are pleasant to my nostrils. Hey, wouldn't that solve a lot of problems in modern worship today if we just went back to the book and said, what is it that God requires of worshipers instead of us saying, hey, in all of my human creativity, I'm going to express my individuality and offer it to God and I think he'll be so pleased with it. Wrong. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth and we must worship him by the design that he has given in his work. And no matter how genuine and sincere a person is, if their worship is not according to God's dictates, it is not received as worship. And so from the very fact that God is the one who specified these things, we can, uh, we can derive that. Not only can we observe this, but we can also observe that the ingredients were created by God on the third day of creation. Isn't that something? All of those ingredients that are created there, uh, third day creations. And so it is something that, that God made. God is the origin of all things. And you know, one of the, the huge obstacles that you and I have to deal with is our self. Self is in rebellion against God, and we are self-willed. And even when it comes to our worship, too often we, we, we are thinking that we've created something that we can offer to God. We've earned something that we can offer to God. We've made something that we can offer to God. When, in fact, anything that we give back to God is rightfully His, including yourself, any talent, any vocal talent, any musical talent, any money that you've earned, any gift that you've had, anything that you give to God actually originated with God. You got it from Him. At least you got the constituent parts of it and the ability of it, and we find the same here. Not only that, we can observe that the ingredients were available to man. He could have said moon dust. How would they have gotten it? And so God decrees something that is in, within reach of mankind. Isn't God good that way? That here you and I could never ascend the heights physically, morally, or spiritually to come into the presence of God. And yet he made a way for us to enter into his presence with worship. He made it available to mankind. And then uh, a final observation that I simply make from this list of ingredients, the parts, is that the ingredients were identifiable by man. Identifiable by man. Truth is knowable. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You know, there's this strange phenomenon that happens with religion where people want to act like you can't know things. Well, you can't know that you're going to heaven. You can't know that there's only one way to be saved. You can't tell me that every other religion is wrong and only Christianity is right. Why can't you know those things? 
You see, God made them knowable. God made them identifiable. God's not playing hide-and-seek with you and I. God is not some juvenile God like the pagan gods who is toying with us as human beings and saying, ah, try to figure out the magic code. Try to decode it. Try to figure out what will please me. And every time you don't, I'm going to give you a little shock. I'm going to zap you a little bit. No, that's not how God operates. God is a God of revelation. God has revealed himself. He's revealed his way of salvation. He's revealed his moral law. He's revealed his righteousness. He's revealed his holiness. He's revealed to you and I how that we can be reconciled to him. God is a God of revelation, and he has equipped you and I to be able to identify those things that he has desired And then, one little final note on the parts, and that is that history tells us that they burned about a pound of this per day in the incense of the tabernacle. And so they were really going through this stuff. Uh, There there was some priest out there whose full-time job was making this stuff, who was putting these parts together, collecting them, breaking them down, blending them together. Which brings us to the process, which is described for us in verse 35. Thou shalt make it a perfume. Make it. Thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary. Notice that there is some assembly required. Some assembly required. You know, there are some things that you and I contribute absolutely nothing to so for instance the work of salvation the only thing you and I contributed was the sin right uh, we're, we're, the only thing we contributed was the need for salvation Christ did all of the work he is the one who lived a sinless life he is the one who came incarnate in the flesh he is the one who suffered the wrath of God by himself he is the one who shed his blood he is the one who expired on that cross he is the one who did all the work of salvation from beginning to end but God does require us to put our faith in Christ And so there is this delicate balance that God creates whereby he provides certain things, but in other realms he requires you and I to be a participant in it. And so notice that he assigns this to them. Thou shalt make this a perfume. God didn't say all those ingredients are going to be blended together in this one plant and you just go get it and shake the pollen off of it and that's it. He said, no, I want you to make it. I want you to take what I have identified for you and make it. God gave them the ingredients. God gave them the instructions. But he required them to put it together. Why? Well, because that's where the act of worship comes in. It is when it comes through you and I as the individual. God has given us the ingredients. God has given us the instructions. But he requires you and I to put that together and offer it to him. And through that process, worship happens. They were to take the ingredients and mix them together in order to make this sweet-smelling substance involved in worship. The art of the apothecary, isn't that poetic? According to the art of the apothecary, that meant that labor was involved, skillfully compounding these ingredients in a way that made the parts complement each other. 
Those things, although described as sweet-smelling spices, standing alone, did not have the same effect that they had once they were blended together. And there was some skill, some human skill involved in that, that they were to blend them together. In fact, it says that they were to be tempered together. And that uh, phrase, tempered together, meant to, to rub to pieces or to pulverize uh, for thorough blending. And so they would perhaps take the, uh, the, the pistol and to break it down until it was in tiny particles so that it could be thoroughly mixed together. And then it is said to be pure and holy. And so this process uh, indicated that it was not to be, might we say, watered down, although water's not involved in this. It is to say that it wasn't to have any uh, foreign substance, no filler, no additive to it, no fluff. These, these were the ingredients, pure and holy. Why did God have to say that? Why, why did he have to indicate that specifically? Because you and I, once again, have this self-problem. And we look at this stuff that God's given us and we think we can improve upon it. And we think, well, we could add a dash of this and a sprinkle of that and we could put this into that. And that would really make it smell good. And God is saying, no, this is the recipe, pure and holy, no foreign substance. Do not put any fillers in it. Do not water it down. We don't need that. Now, can I just express something to you that's my opinion? My opinion, you can have a different opinion, I'm perfectly fine with it. And I'm not legalistic about it, but it's just my opinion. My opinion is we don't need lights and smoke machines to have worship. We don't need it. And I, I really struggle with it. And you say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't say that we need pews or stained glass. No, no, doesn't say that. Again, I'm telling you, it's my opinion. But sometimes I, I, I go to these conferences, and man, it's such a production. And I think, we're missing the point here. God said it's us and him. It's not about the ambiance of the room. It's not about the feeling. It's not that we're creating this aura that's supposed to make it look like this is a holy place unlike any other room that we're in and so it's all smoky and the lights come through it and it refracts a little bit and all of that sometimes I really wonder if we aren't adding to something that God wants to keep more pure than that and so I'll be the first to tell you I'm a purist uh, I, I like I, I could I could use the screen. I could put up the slides. There, there's and some people do. And again, I'm not legalistic. I'm not saying that. But for me, I, I want you and I to engage God through His Word, because that is the pure form that God's given to us. I know that He's given to us this. I don't know about all the other stuff, right? And so I don't want to distract. I don't want to dilute. I don't want to water down. I don't want to put foreign substances in. I, I want to keep it as pure and holy as possible. The place. The place is called out for us in verse 36. Are y'all okay with that? Y'all probably suspected that already, didn't you? And thou shalt beat some of it very small. And put of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with thee. And it shall be most holy 
unto you. It was to be used in the most holy place before the ark of the covenant. As you think about the tabernacle, the tabernacle was God's design to have a dwelling with his people. I mean, the very fact that the way that the camp of Israel is laid out was that the tabernacle was to be in the center. And there were to be three tribes to the north and three tribes to the west and three tribes to the south and three tribes to the east. And then the tribe of Levi would camp around the immediate structure and they were broken down into different families around the north, west, south, and east. What is the picture that is there? Well, if you're looking at it from an aerial photo, God is in the middle of his people. It's a brand new development, never happened before like that in history. Though he called Abraham to be his covenant people and out of him to make a nation, never before had God set up his tent in the middle of the tents of Israel. And so the big picture is that God wanted to dwell with his people. But get this, because God is holy, and his holiness is deadly to the unholy, God created a very specific way in which they were to approach to him. You say, what do you mean God's holiness is deadly to the unholy? Well, just think back with me to uh, Exodus 19 when they are gathered together at the base of Mount Sinai and God tells Moses, tell those people to purify themselves uh, and on the third day they approach before me but put boundaries around the mountain because I'm going to descend on the mountain and if man or beast touches that mountain, they will die. Do you understand that the holiness of God is deadly? To the unholy. And so God wants to meet his people. He wants to dwell among his people, but his people cannot, at that point in salvation history, have direct access to him. So he makes a very specific way in which they are to approach. Let's think about now the design of the tabernacle. There is an outer perimeter. There's a fence that goes around with a margin between it and the actual tabernacle. And it only has one gate, one gate to enter in. You can't get into that uh, tabernacle complex any way you want to. You come through the eastern gate. And then when you do come through, you don't come immediately into the tabernacle. First, there is an altar. And at the altar is where the sin offering and the burnt offering has to be made. There has to be an offering, a shedding of blood and a consuming of the offering. And then... Before you get to the tabernacle, there's a laver. And so even those priests who made the offerings at the altar before they were to enter in the tabernacle had to go to the laver and they had to wash their hands and their feet. The tabernacle itself is completely shrouded, if you will. It only has one entrance. There are no windows. There are no skylights. There are no back doors. There's only one door into that tabernacle. The tabernacle has two chambers. It has a front chamber or a front room, and it has a back chamber or a back room. 
in that front chamber, you come in and you still don't have direct approach to God. You come in and there is the the golden candlestick, there is the table of showbread, there is the altar of incense that sits there, and there is a veil that goes all the way across. There is no door into the most holy of holies or the second room. It is a veil that stretches from side to side. And then behind that thick veil is a single piece of furniture. It is the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony, as it is sometimes called. And it has a lid on it that is the mercy seat. You see, God was very specific about the approach. Not everybody can get in here. You can't come just any way you want to. Only the priests are allowed in. And they can only come in a certain way. And they must come through a certain process. And get this. The sweet-smelling perfume was part of the protocol that made approaching God possible. That was part of it. There had to be incense burning on the altar of incense before uh, the Ark of the Covenant where they would meet with God, and they had to tend to that incense day and night. And for some reason, God made that part of the protocol. It was required by God's design. It was not optional. Oh, well, you know, we just don't have any incense to burn today. It, 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 it was not additional. Well, hey, we're going to just add this in. It's, it's going to be a special service today. We will burn the incense. No, this was required. This was part of the approach to God. And God says, you can't come without that. That is part of it. It is just as much a part of it as the altar of burnt offering, as the labor, as the table of showbread. It was part of the protocol whereby God would meet with them. Fourth, the purpose. What is the purpose of all of this? Well, verses 37 and 38 give us a clue when it says, and for, As for the perfume which thou shalt make, you shall not make it to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It, it shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. By the way, whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people. You see, it was something that was to be set apart and sacred to God. As we look at it and we say, well, what is the purpose of this? Well, if we know nothing else, we know the purpose is that it was to be set apart for God. This was something that was specifically special for God. Uh, God demands that this would be solely for him, and that no one would make an imitation of it. And that's why he says you don't make it to yourself. You're not going to make copies for yourself. And by the way, you don't offer it to anybody else. Nobody else gets to wear this fragrance, if you will. Nobody else gets to have this scent burnt for them. This was so serious that God said if anyone did, they would be cut off. From the covenant people of God. While while I may still be feeling my way around as to what is the purpose, I know it's a serious purpose. Because God said, You violate this, and it's not a fine, it's not a timeout, it is excommunication from the covenant of God. And so there is a divine purpose that God is using this incense for. Why is it such a big deal? 
And the answer that I found is because it's about worship. It's about worship. It's about their worship for God. And it's about our worship for God. God takes that very seriously. We're not to worship anybody or anything else. We're not to offer worship to anyone else. We're not supposed to try and design worship for ourselves to get anybody else to worship us. Worship is serious business to God. You see, our worship is predicated on a special blend. The special blend of God and man in the person of Christ Jesus. Think about that. He was the only one who was both fully God and fully man in one person. There's a theological term for it. It's the hypostatic union. It is the idea that these two parts exist in one person. Unlike the Trinity, where the three persons as one God identify themselves separately Let us make man in our image after our likeness. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't talk about himself in two parts. It is united in one. He is fully human and he is fully man, but he is the same. And so here, like this this special blend of ingredients that were reserved for worship, that, that, that predicated this worship. Jesus is this unique blending of God and man that makes our worship even possible. We can't approach to God without the God-man, without Christ reconciling us to God. It was the pouring out of Christ that came into the nostrils of God as a sweet-smelling savor and and made uh, the way for our approach. And so let me just give you a a New Testament verse on this if you want to mark it down or read it with your own eyes. But you say, well, how do you you get that, that, that Jesus has any connection to this incense? Well, this incense was all about the smell. And Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So think about that. The sacrifice of Christ, the the poured-out life of Christ, the consumed life of Christ was... A sweet smell in the nostrils of God. How else would we get that reference if there wasn't reference to the sweet-smelling savor of the incense and of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, specifically as they have to do with the tabernacle? Furthermore, I would say to you that it's only because of Christ dwelling in us again Another special blend whereby when we get born again, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you and I. It is because of Christ dwelling in us through faith that our worship comes into the nostrils of God as a sweet-smelling fragrance. Do you understand? Without Christ in us, we have no worship that is acceptable 
to God. We worship him in vain, Jesus said, after the tradition of men. In vain means purposefully, uh, empty, that it is meaningless. And so it is only because Christ is in us that we can offer to God something that is a sweet smell. And so if you would... Leave your place in Exodus and go with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, where I want you to see for yourselves in the new covenant that there is something that we offer to God that is like this fragrance, that is like this perfume that comes into the nostrils of God and it is a pleasing fragrance to Him. The first reference is in Revelation chapter 5 verse 8. As the Lamb of God is unveiled, He is revealed as the one who is worthy to take the book and to open the seals because He has laid down His life for us. It tells us in this scene in heaven in verse 8 that when He had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps, and watch this, golden vials full of odors. What are those odors? The prayers of the saints. Isn't that amazing? This act of worship that you and I offer to God called prayer, this this pure act, one of the purest acts of worship that we can offer to God when we get down on our knees with God alone and we pray to Him recognizing that He is God, when we praise Him for what He has done, when we go to Him seeking the, uh, the, the substance for our needs, this act of worship is a sweet odor. In the nostrils of God. And we're told that it is collected in vials in heaven. And that it is poured out before the Lord. Again, if you would look again in Revelation chapter 8. We see this reference uh, appear once more. In verse 3 and 4 it says. Verse 2, I saw the seven angels which stood before God. And to them were given seven trumpets. And so they're before God in the presence of God. And another angel came. Came where? Came into the presence of God. And he stood at the altar and he has a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it. Offer it with what? With the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne, and here it is, verse 4, the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And so I tell you all that to, to say this, to make this one simple statement, that you and I can take great comfort in knowing that the aroma of our worship, the aroma of our worship, the praying, the praising, the giving, the serving, that is done as an act of worship, always ascends up to God, and it is one of his favorite smells. Can you imagine that? Just like you and I have some favorite smells locked away in the cerebral cortex that are triggered by that olfactory system that we think... I love that smell. Smells like vacation. Smells like home. Smells like somebody I love. 
when you and I worship God, it gives him a similar response. Imagine that. God's breathing in your worship tonight. What you and I are doing in this little corner of southwest Virginia that seems to be so mundane and unnoticed is actually one of the sweetest smells that God gets to smell on this Lord's Day. Would you bow with me? Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the beauty, the descriptiveness, the design of the tabernacle that illuminates for us the intricate parts of the spiritual life in the new covenant. Father, it is amazing that our worship is one of your sweet smells, one of those things that ascends into your nostrils in heaven and that you enjoy it. Oh Lord, I pray that we would not be stingy, that we would not be stingy with our worship. As we learn that they burned nearly a pound a day of this fragrance in their daily service. Lord, may we realize that you deserve our daily worship and that our worship isn't something that is just reserved for Sundays or even just reserved for when the church gathers, but that worship is something that we can do every single day. And whether it is individually or corporately, it is a sweet smell in your nostrils. Lord, I pray that you would, you would deepen our appreciation for the act of worship and Lord that you would help us to increase our frequency and I pray that in Jesus name amen